and welcome back to another episode of Caught Looking, a baseball podcast hosted by myself, Max Greenfield, and my co-host, Ryan Garcia. Today, we are joined by a very special guest, Max Bay of the Houston Astros. He is an R&D analyst for them, and we discuss his role with the team, the use of analytics, both in decision-making and in off-season and in-season moves. And we also discuss cultural issues uh, in terms of how those numbers are applied and communication throughout an organization. It's a very fascinating and very fun conversation, and we hope you enjoy, and we'll be right back after this. And we are back, joined by Max Bay of the Houston Astros, who is an R&D analyst. Max, we've spoken for many years, and it's finally great to get you on the podcast and speak to you in person. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Max. Thanks for having me on, Ryan. Of course. We're super thrilled, super excited to get you on. Um the founder of Stuff Plus has joined us, so it's it's going to be a great conversation. Uh, I just kind of want to start you off with, you've been working for the Houston Astros for a few years now. Uh, what can you tell us about the way they do things on the research and development side that has kind of led to, I mean, seven straight ALCS, a title in 2022, you know, but, you know, going to game seven this past year. What have they, what have you seen that they've done and that you've done that's been so successful. Oh man, what's the secret sauce? You can't answer that, obviously, but like you know, we can <laughs> chat it, right? Um, so I have been with the Houston Astros since November of 2021. I started right after the postseason ended, so right after the Astros World Series lost, uh, the Astros World Series loss. Um, I've really only been here for two regular seasons to post seasons. So, you know, I can only speak to my experience and what I've heard and when, what I understand um, the history to be. Um, but what explains the, uh, the success, it's kind of a lofty thing to try to answer, but I would say that the um, processes in place that as an organization, I think we, we believe in is um having conduits of information between the coaches and the coordinators, um, the major league level, the minor league level, and the folks, um, you know, like me, um, the people in player um, uh, sports performance science, uh, you know, all through baseball operations that are two-way, right? So it's an, it's not a, a top-down, I think, um, structure where some model is imposed, uh, you know, in a completely sort of totalitarian way. Um, it's important that you have good communication with coaches, have good communication with the people that are key stakeholders. Um so that being in place allows for, you know, us to get feedback from them that informs our work and then our, our work to really meet their needs. Um, but then, you know, when we do research, we discover new things, we want to go a new direction. Um, having that rapport is, uh, I think, what, what ends up leading to you know, good ideas being implemented. So I, I my, my, you know, my take on, on 
what's responsible for the success. Um, plus, you know, some sprinkled luck. You always need that in baseball um, is really that um, being good listeners and um, being true to the information we're, um, we're studying. Yeah. I mean, I look from a perspective of like, as an outsider, like it's difficult for me to understand like how different organizations work. So it's obviously awesome to hear about, you know, the way that how important communication is. And I feel like that's true for any industry too. Like, I feel like that's something that you can translate into a lot of different aspects. So if you're listening to this and you're not necessarily, you know, Hey, I'm going to go work in baseball. Hey, I'm going to go work in this or whatever it may be. If you're just a baseball fan, that's a, I feel like a principle that applies to anything you do. And, you know, when we brought, you know, Saris on, I asked him about what he felt was the biggest misconception with how like a team operates. And since taking that job with Houston, what would you say is the biggest misconception from like the public view versus now your view on, on how teams operate? <laughs> well, I can only speak from the experience of having worked in one team. Um, but I do think that there is, at least within the Houston Astros, a sort of tightly um, conformed to modularization that is believed to exist within the, the front office. So it, it's sort of like, uh, I'll, I'll hear people talk about this. They have a this person that researches just this. They have a this person that researches exactly that. I think that um, these are fairly small operations in, in R&D at least. Um, and of course we work on, you know, kind of our own projects, but like we're involved in quite a lot of things. Um, and so everyone gets exposure to a lot of stuff that happens within the organization from, um, you know, figuring out targets for trades, uh, um, you know, different like uh, trajectories for player development for certain players. Um, I would say that a lot of people are involved in all of that stuff and um, it it's good um, because if you get too siloed in, in baseball, you um, you miss out on a lot of the interesting things that are happening and lose out on the opportunity to be inspired by the um, other, you know, aspects of the organization that, you know, should in inform your work and make it better. basically you're saying there's a perception that people are pigeonholed into certain things and you're saying that's not really true there's a lot more collaboration and thought you know thought process throughout the organization there's melding yeah i and i i look i my that was a misconception i had before joining the astros um i i i it wasn't clear to me what the roles were but it felt like you know there was this group and that group and this group, and they all work on uh, distinct things. There's actually quite a lot of collaboration. Integration is, is kind of, if your yes. front office isn't integrated at this point, you're behind. Um, and I, I think that's... That's just how we operate. It's been, uh, I think, really successful. And it's also led to you know good relationships between departments. Max, I do have to remind you, you've made seven straight ALCS, two straight in your case. Uh, you know, I, I, that's such a nice, uh, that's how we do things answer, but I, I'm going to be, I'm not working for a team yet, so I can be hand down. If you're not integrated, you're behind. Uh, but can you walk us through like kind of like the day-to-day -day stuff that you do, you know, as you said, uh, as you told us and everything, 
you know, you meet with some people who are on the field and you meet with people uh, who are obviously a little bit higher up and everything. What does the day-to-day look like? Uh, so it depends on the person. Um, I am a generally remote employee of the Houston Astros. I actually still live in Los Angeles. Um, but I do fly out there um, a couple times a year, um, like eight-ish times a year. And um you know what my day when i'm there is very different than my day when i'm i'm here uh when i'm out here i have a lot of long-term research projects long-term modeling you know sort of projects that i um work on collaborate with you know others on get feedback on etc um but there is interaction with you know um some of the coaches and coordinators and so we'll have occasional meetings with them, really good relationship with, you know, I personally have really good relationship with our pitching coaches and um, have been in, inspired by the their feedback, their their ideas. And so, you know, on a typical day, it's funny, it can, it can range from I am just sitting and programming uh, to I'm, in a, you know, meetings with coaches, getting ideas on what, um, you know, sort of. Uh, tools and things they are interested in. Um, And, you know, it it really does depend on the day. It depends on kind of the season too a bit. Talk about, you know, you, you know, you have conversations with the pitching coaches and that, you know, you use their responses to, to fuel the information that you're then looking for. How important has it been in the, you know, Brent Strom left, obviously he's a, Oh, a legend, I would say, in terms of pitching coaches. He's really phenomenal. How has it been to kind of see that transition from Strom to this new group and not really see any hiccup, but, you know, how they use the data to work with their players? So Strom's time preceded mine, um, but, like, he left basically right when I started. Um, But I, I think they're look, we have some really good people. Um, Miller and Murph, m- many more, um, are curious, up to date on the research, very savvy with data, um, and, uh, just excellent communicators of ideas. Um, and I think they've, um, filled the gap on a lot of what the data can't or has a hard time informing us on. Um, but for that reason are really, really crucial in trying to fill that gap in an objective way also. So they've helped guide some of this like specific stuff we've put together. And that is, um, it's one of the things that makes this job so fun. You know, I love baseball, not just because I love watching the game and, um, you know, imbibing the chaos, but because I want to understand it and I'll never fully understand it. Sometimes understanding it means understanding what you can't understand, what the width of the variance is basically. But, um, you know, to the extent that you can, uh, having, uh, you know, experts that, uh, you know, are curious and uh, about the, information we're getting and are using it um 
who, you know, they, they kind of like, uh, I, I would say, okay, let me take a step back. I feel like coaches are often solve the last mile problem with implementation. Um, and for the longest time, it was more than just the last mile. It was the last many miles. Um, what data help do is like get you closer to the, the finish line, but there's still, you know, like a mile left of unexplained stuff. And so, you know, having someone who's been part of that, who's also like very information savvy is just killer. It's awesome. Yeah. And, you know, you talk about loving baseball, you know, wanting to understand baseball. Um, you know, I think we all come from a background just really loving this game. And, you know, I guess the question I had for you in regards to, you know, since taking that job with the Houston Astros, how has your relationship with baseball changed? Um, it's very similar. <laughs> um, as a fan, which I was before I started working for a team, I have you know, emotional investment in the players. I have that primal lizard brain interest in winning a game um, or rooting for a team and wanting them to win. Um, and look, like, I still have that. <laughs> I'm human, and I think that's what makes this entertainment product particularly, like, um, interesting. Uh, it taps into that. And as, um, as an employee, like the stakes are a bit different. Like, um, you know, we have some input on, you know, the decision-making process now and, um, where I would historically just kind of like yell my ideas out into the void and, you know, like be upset about certain things happening um it now feels like oh i'll have this <laughs> this particular idea that um i am like rooting for and it wouldn't just be me it would be many people uh like i i want it to work <laughs> but also i'm open to it not working and some other idea working i just want to win ultimately um but it's funny that the texture of fandom is very similar you know the way it feels is kind of still there and i think if you're dispassionate about it then why are you doing this? You have to, you have to still have a, um, I think a, uh, a love for the game that is very similar to the kind of one you had before you, you worked there. Nice. Um, moving in a, you know, kind of same direction, different in a way, but there are all, you know, you can go on, social media and you'll after every game doesn't really matter the team but you'll see fans are like wow he made that decision because the analytics said to do so how which i mean we all know is generally speaking not true uh but like how involved are you know is data at least from your perspective in you know the everyday decision making extremely <laughs> Yeah, one would hope, but like, you know, what's uh what's uh what's the thought process behind that? Um, so I'm not in advance. I don't do the on the field stuff. Um like before every game, I'm not involved in that sort of prep. But you know, we have people who do that. Every team has people who do that. Um and 
Um, what, what I would say is that, you know, much like a um, development program is informed by in, is informed by, you know, processed information that um, is like designed to make good decisions. Um, that that's sort of what it's like for, you know, on the field stuff, but look like it's not a computer making a decision so much as a computer informing on decision-making and you got to make, you want to um, make adjustments along the way. But, you know, like, like I said, I am, that's just not really my domain within the, within the organization. So I, I like candidly um, can't say exactly. I couldn't <laughs> exactly how, how it's all implemented. And I, I also wouldn't cause this is public, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> but um you know, what, what I'll say is, uh, of course, you know, like we, we try to use um, the information we have, distill it um, and um, make it useful for making decisions on are the field. You, are you willing to say that Joe 6487271 on Twitter is wrong when he says that the computer makes the decisions? Hmm. Are we computers, Max? <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna confidently say that I'm not. Uh, you know, I feel like you're not either, and I feel like Ryan's not. But you know, definitely I, not. Also, there's two men with black suits outside my door right now. Should I be concerned? Uh, yeah. <laughs> what are so there's obviously like you you had kind of talked about like the integration of uh you know your skill sets in different departments, right? Or um even just like how different there are conduits of communication. What are some skills that you were surprised to have either used or developed in your current position uh over the last two years? Um, I would say there are two branches to that. One is technical skills. Um, so I have um a background in in essentially statistical programming. Um but the domain was very different. The data was very different. And even though I'd done some public uh, analyst work, you know, working for an organization where there's just so much more data um, than existed before, um, just sort of learning how to handle it, um, stuff like that, uh, learning some different, I would, I would say just broadly statistical programming um, related things has been very helpful. <laughs> Um, but that wasn't surprising. So I guess it doesn't really answer your question. Um, the surprising, and this, wasn't, this isn't that surprising either, but what I've um, come to appreciate is that it's very important to be a, um, uh, to be able to communicate your ideas at multiple levels of competency, I think when you're working in, in R&D. Um, and I don't mean that in a demeaning way. I just mean not everybody has a statistics background. And so you want to be able to communicate your your ideas to people who, um, maybe have some familiarity, but not necessarily expertise in what you do. And um, so learning to think about how to describe an idea, um, a model, a concept or whatever, um, so that the, the, to the audience, tailoring it to the audience. Um, it's also made me better at understanding my own ideas. So that's been a, a part of of the job that I guess I, I did, I knew would be there on some, at some level, but um, I didn't really fully appreciate till I got here. Yeah. And, you know, I, I guess, and 
kind of bringing back to former podcasts or episodes we did, uh, communication just seems to be a really strong aspect of all of what goes on in baseball. Like, yes, it's important to know what's going on or know what, why things are the way they are, but also it's the ability to explain it. I mean, we see coaches hired or fired for those reasons. We see, you know, uh, you know, different people are raved about in the sport for that. Like communication just seems to be, it's about getting people to understand information just as much um, as, you know, it is to display information. So I, I think it's just interesting how consistent of a theme that is. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, this is a people business and the most important people, actually, the real answer to what is the reason behind our success are the players. <laughs> you want good players on the field. <laughs> and um, so communication at all levels there is very important and that that gets the most out of your good players that gets the most out of your good coaches and it gets the most out of your good analysts love to hear that uh we're in the off season now which what? obviously yeah <laughs> gosh max you're making me laugh too much uh how much does the work change from the off season to in season work and which one do you enjoy to do more um, it does change. Um, of course there, um, during the season are, um, particular landmark events that we prepare for, like the draft and the, um, the trade deadline. Um, and in the off season, there are also landmark you know deadlines essentially that we we prepare for but during the season that is complicated by the season occurring and so there are needs at the major league level which are more urgent often um and um sometimes they're just sort of ad hoc projects that pop up um in light of things that have happened you know like a it, uh, there's less experimentation um but sometimes it'll be little experiments that come up that you you want to try try out, um, and so I I think in the in during the regular season you know that those things can happen, um, and in the lead up to the regular season you you know that those things are can happen. Uh, but when the uh, once the off season starts, um, you have time to reflect on you know, some of the work you've done, you have time to sort of fundamentally change some of the models you have in place. Um, and, you know, then it's, it's time to implement them before the next season. And really you don't want to make too big a changes to much of your infrastructure as like a information systems type thing. You know, if we're delivering information, we don't want to make too many huge changes in the middle of the season. Um, it's better to make those in the off season and then let people adjust and start to implement it once they've become familiar with it during the season. Yeah. And, you know, uh, as you mentioned in, in multi, I mean, in various different ways, just like the, there is a lot that goes on or that there's more that you're integrated with or antiquated with in terms of how, uh, in terms of different departments with the organization or whatever it may be, you're not just like sitting down like, all right, we're just programming. That's all we do, right? Like there's um, various different things that are involved in your role. So baseball is an evolving game like baseball like all the numbers you value all the numbers you use like five years ago the concept of like 
you know, spin efficiency is like, oh my gosh, like, this is awesome, right? Like we can track this stuff. Um, so this game's going to keep growing. I'm sure in five years, it's going to be something else that's, you know, incredible to learn about. But how important is having a growth mi- mindset when you're working in a baseball industry? Like I imagine it's extremely important to what you do. So I kind of want to uh, get your perspective on that. I mean, if the objective is to better understand this game, to make more informed decisions, to win more games, and I would say it's probably the most critical thing for front office to have. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I hundred percent imagine that. Um, and I wanted to end my like I wanted to make my final question less of like a like a like a baseball one, a little more like lighthearted. I guess it is still baseball, but I've imagined that you know whether it's through your work, I know that you do it remotely, or you know just being a baseball fan. Like out of all the ballparks you visited, doesn't have to just be yeah. major league ones, just any single ballpark. Which is the one that you say is the most unique or memorable, and why? I've not visited that many ballparks. So I've been to Camden Yards. I'm a group of Dodgers fans. I've been to Dodger Stadium a million times. I've been to Angel Stadium. Um, now been to Minute Maid many, many times. I'm trying to think, have I been to other ballparks? Um, I think that's it. So which one stood out? Um, you know, they all have their charms. <laughs> um, I'm. I'll always have a soft spot in my heart for Dodger Stadium. Um, it's just the stadium I grew up, you know, watching the game in and it's been the same stadium my entire life. Um, so, you know, I don't know in terms of like, which ones are really stuck out. That'll stick out for that reason. Um, but, you know, after having had this unique and very, um, fortunate experience of working for, um, a team, that I'm just like so grateful to do this. It's such a fun thing that I get to do it. Um, Minute Maid is where this all happened. And so, you know, it's watching the clincher from there. I will never forget that. I'll never forget after the celebrations coming back to the empty stadium at night um, that year in 2022 when uh, there was just, you know, confetti everywhere. And it was, it was just, um, uh, an image that's seared into my mind forever. Um, so yeah, I'm long-winded. So there's no long-winded answer. <laughs> I mean, I mean, what was it like when Jordan hit that home run? Freaking cool, man! <laughs> Freaking insane. He had three. I mean, he. I think he hit more than three home runs that postseason, but three extremely high leverage ones. Um, there was the one off Robbie Ray. Yeah. Yes. That might have. So, okay. The, the highest like championship leverage one was, was of course the, in the clincher, um, the go ahead home run, but, um, like in terms of game win probability, that was just so low. Um, and it was just such a freaking laser beam. I think he hit it like 116. Ball was demolished. It was absolutely demolished. It was like a line drive home run that went like 400, whatever feet. It was so insane. Um, And yeah, you know, at at that point it was like, look, we don't have a good chance of winning this one. Um, But look, it's Jordan. Um, You know, anybody's got a chance, but you look, Jordan hits the dingers, right? And uh, that was just so crazy. It was so wild. I remember... First of all, the Joe Davis call, you obviously didn't get to experience it live. Not but, live, no. Yeah. But the the this this game has been turned upside down. 
That's I, a phrase I've never heard before. It was interesting, but it's still works. Right, but it's so good. It's so good. I have to. Joe Davis is like, a special talent, man. Yeah, he really is. He's really good. Like when when he the the Harper home run, you know, the swing mm. of your life. Another right. just mm, a one. I mean the the Jose Altuve home run in Game Five. Altuve again. Like I've come to appreciate something about him, which is that he doesn't have a home run call. Yeah, I like and, that. And it's cool to have a home run call. I think that's that's fine. Um, but I I really like how each one is its own signature that is tied to that moment. Yeah. Uh, it's the swing it of special. your life. Alvarez exactly. turned upside down. Altuve does it again. It's like, like make a shirt out of it, you know? <laughs> right. Uh, and whereas like, you know, Hawk Harrelson's like, put it on the board. Yes. Michael K is see ya. Like, you know, now. Yeah, I was going to say the back yeah. of the, like it, every single time. That's like, bur- I feel like that and like the sound of just somebody colliding with a wall or something is burned into my image. Uh, the right. image of my, like, that's what I hear when I think World Series. I think over time, Davis is going to just, it's going to just be the familiar voice for me. It's not that like I have anything against him. It's just, it is kind of new, right? Like, I'm not, you know, I, it's I'm really well, definitely though. different. Yeah. It's yeah. different. But I don't think the way he bad, tells stories you know? is different. He also has John Smoltz on as, as his broadcast partner. And I feel like it's just a curse for Fox announcers, good play-by-play guys. And I will defend Joe Buck as a good play-by-play guy to be uh, cursed with uh, the uh, analyst who's got some problems, just to put it mildly, I guess. Um, I know, Max, you can't really comment on John Smoltz, but I I, I will give my opinion on John Smoltz and say I can't stand listening to him. So Make it easier. He's also good at baseball. There we go. <laughs> uh so kind of want to get your get your thoughts on this you know you took a very unique path to get to the position that you're in you know but you've obviously been there for two years now you've seen what translates well what qualities work and what qualities don't so what advice do you have for people who are looking to get into a front office whether it be an R&D or baseball ops or other areas what what advice do you have um yeah I I don't think my path was actually that unique given the um, role I now occupy. Um, many people in R&D have a statistics background, a strong interest in baseball, um, some public footprint of their research. And um, I, I, I think that it's non-traditional in that 10 years ago, that probably wasn't the case, but 10 years ago, you also didn't really have much in the way of R&D departments for most teams. But the more that um, they become prevalent, the more that you have, um, you know, like data-oriented decision-making, I guess, um, the more that that sort of profile is is attractive. Um, and so I can only really speak to my experience and the experience of, of others I know that are like working for a team. Um, but the best way to get your um, work out there is to get your work out there. So if you enjoy baseball research, don't just keep it to yourself, put it out publicly. Um, it will be, um, you know, appreciated by some, maybe not appreciated by others whatever. There's a big community of public researchers that are public analysts that really love this game and do it just for fun. And I still have 
you know, like, you know, Max, you've, you've, you've done, um, you've been someone I've, uh, you know, I've known for a while and there we've discussed, I'm, yeah, we've talked many, many years. It's great to do this in person. Now. And, uh, I, I think that once you put your stuff out there, um, and you start to get feedback and you, um, start to work off of the things other people have done. Um, you, you just get involved in a way where what you do be becomes visible. Um, and I really truly believe that is, uh, maybe the most important thing you can do for a couple of reasons. A, it gives you good practice with the, the work. It makes you familiar, you know, B makes you very familiar with the stuff that's already been done. Um, and, um, uh, it also is essentially a living portfolio that people can go and look at. And that is my understanding is that's essentially what happened with me that I had some stuff out there. Um, like literally not literally programmatically and figuratively. Um, and, um, I was reached out to, and that, that was kind of it. That's what started this, this whole thing. So just yeah. get your work out there. Stuff, stuff plus man. That's still, it's still the go-to. It's still chugging along. <laughs> it's still chugging along. Yes. Yes, it is. It's, I mean, out of my grasp, but. <laughs> right. I was going to say, you probably don't do anything with it. It's all, it's all, you know, oh, now, I haven't right? touched it. Yeah. I haven't touched it in, you know, whatever, over two years now. Well, uh, I can say confidently that I do miss our interactions on, you know, Twitter. I miss seeing your work in a public space. Uh, but it is very, very uh, satisfying to see, obviously, your work mattering to an organization because you are a bright man. And I'm very happy for you for all the success that you've had in your two years with the Astros. And I'm sure there will be much, much more in your future. And, you know, you've also had some uh, personal success. You know, congratulations on the birth of your second child. Uh, Thank you. And, yeah, so, you know, great things are happening for you and you totally deserve it, man. One of the smartest people I've ever met in my life in baseball. And I continue to wish you nothing but success. And I hope to continue to learn from you, but now I have to kind of do it through conversations rather than public work, which makes me a little sad. TL's not as smart as it used to be. With I'm not dead. We still talk. Uh, we still, we, and we do, and we do, but, and, but it, uh, I do miss, you, there's less bright voices now on Twitter. Uh, so that's also just because it's that's Twitter. Twitter's fault. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, I was about to say it's just because it's Elon, <laughs> but, uh, Thank you very much for joining us today, Max. Uh, again, wish you nothing but continued success. Um, and uh, we will be right back after this. And we are back. Ryan, we were just joined by Max Bay, an analyst of the R&D department for the Houston Astros. And that was probably a very in-depth conversation, but also probably one of our funniest and our best conversations we've had on this podcast. Yeah, no, it was great. And, and, you know, ultimately, you know, you just get a perspective from somebody working with the team right now. Um, You get to understand a little bit more about um, not necessarily like, look, there's only so much you can say in the public sphere um, from, you know, an organization. But, you know, just getting to understand what that experience is like and, and understanding some of the, the, the skill sets and the, uh, you know, things you need to have in that environment to have success. It was, it was a really interesting conversation. I think it, you know, definitely made me question a couple of things, uh, you know, how I view things as a fan versus how I should or, or how I think I should view things. I thought he said he said a couple of, of things that really resonated with me. 
Uh, the first was good communication with key stakeholders. And key stakeholders are players and coaches and your boss, right? Like those are the key stakeholders and everything. And so being able to communicate well with those people is extremely important. And that's what makes a good organization, right? If you can have good communication with the key stakeholders throughout the organization. Related to that, he said, excellent communication of ideas from the coaching staff, from, again, those key stakeholders, from the people who are, at the end of the day, working with the, the biggest key stakeholders are the players. Like, those are the guys who define how good your organization really is, because if they don't perform, nobody cares how good your process is, because clearly it cannot be that good, right? Like, so those two things really resonated with me of like, yeah. That's that's exactly it. That's the mark of a good process is at the end of the day, are you doing everything you can to make sure that the players are the best that they possibly can be? How do you do that? Good communication on throughout the organization and being really good at communicating complex ideas to the players. Yeah, I mean, one of the things he said was uh, how important it was to communicate your ideas in multiple levels of competency, which I thought was really important. Like you need to be able to explain to people different concepts that aren't necessarily fully grasped with it. And that's, you know, he even said this not to knock people, but like end of the day, like it's not a player's job to know what X woba is. It's not a player's job to, you know, understand, uh, you know, necessarily the, uh, you know, the extremely analytical reasons as to why they are, they are or are not produce, producing their jobs are to make those uh you know tweaks make those adjustments and, and you know it's a coach's job to to relay that information in a way that makes sense and it is the job of the organization to make sure that the coach has access to the information needed uh to you know drive or to, to reach those conclusions or whatever it may be uh it's it's a strong it's those strong channels for feedback right that's something else he talked about and having those uh communication lines uh in order to have that process right end of the day you know everybody's kind of involved in a lot of different things it's not just you know uh jimmy from you know the research and development department just sits down and he just programs he does nothing else like that's not how baseball works that's not how organizations are ran and end of the day as you mentioned right if the player doesn't make the adjustment if the players aren't getting better, if the players aren't ma- getting aren't being maximized or their value isn't being maximized, as an organization, you are to the public eye and to honestly to your own organization, you are failing to meet your goals. You're failing to meet your standards. So, um, you know, yes, part of baseball is luck, and, and you know that's and that's something that's inherent with a sport like baseball and any sport in general. But you know, in the variables you can't control and having those strong communication lines, this is the first time we've heard that this is not the first time in this podcast, in which we've sat here and talked about the importance of communication or had guests come on and talk about the importance of communication. It's all about communication. It's all about buy-in, right? These are principles that apply to any industry. And it's very much true in baseball. Speaking about communication, uh, the biggest thing, that he said that I, I think is really important is you have to be a good listener. You need to, you can't communicate the ideas if you're not listening to the ways that it wants to be communicated. Think, which think about that. If you're, as you said, being able to communicate, you know, big concepts in multiple ways to people, you know, that's great, but you need to listen to them first to figure that out. You cannot just understand like, Oh, I know how to talk to people. No, you don't. Because if you don't listen, you're not going to know. 
you need to be able to listen to people to understand. And that's such a huge facet. Like in everything you do to have a growth mindset, you need to listen. Because how can you grow if you're not listening? Um, a couple of tidbits, you know, before we get out of here first, I, the, from the interview, I thought it was interesting that he said, like, when you make, when you want to make changes to your infrastructure and everything, you do that in the off season, which is trying to do that in season is extremely difficult and you don't want to mess things up too much. That makes sense. But I think that's important for people to understand of like, why don't these, they do these things as soon as possible if they notice them? Cause it's hard. Like, you, like there's a reason that a lot of coaches don't get fired in season because that's a huge change in the middle of a season that may not really accomplish anything. You know, Yankee fans that they fired Dylan Lawson and hired Sean Casey. Did that change anything? No. Is that Sean Casey's fault? And am I like pinning that on him? No, but I'm also saying like, that's a huge change. It's hard to see the fruits of that labor early. Like you're just, there's not enough time. Like the big changes require lots of sample size to see. Um, and I thought that was interesting. I do want to end on this though. Uh, Paul DeYoung decided with the White Sox. Yay. Let's go. The South side, they're, they're winning it all this year. That te- Do you think that team wins even 60 games? In April, they will be very competitive because if there's anything that is a guarantee in life, look, life, death, taxes, whatever you want to say, and Paul DeJong in freaking April, or DeYoung, sorry, in freaking April, man, that guy's special. And if you're a Mets fan and you have to play the White Sox, it's not going to be a fun series. He will. It is what it, those are just constants of life. Paul DeYoung in, in April and against the Mets. So good job, White Sox. You added a win. Yeah. Yeah, it's. For 10 million, by the way, 10, 10 million for Paul DeYoung. I mean, that's not awful, but like year four of it, can Paul DeYoung be what he was in 2019? No. Right. <laughs> We're in year four of that. <laughs> well, Ryan, thank you very much for joining me. Uh, I hope our listeners really learned something fascinating. I hope our listeners also have a great Thanksgiving reminder to tell uh, the people in your life that you're thankful for them and everything. Cause you know, sometimes you don't know, what can happen and everything. And you don't know everybody's situation. Um, you don't know what people are going through. So you should always take the opportunity to tell the people that you love, that you love them and that you're thankful for them. Um, remember to rate review and subscribe to the podcast. We will be back with our regularly scheduled episode on Monday, where we will discuss the hall of fame ballot and give our ballots and everything as well as some of the recent transactions. If you're a Cardinals fan, you're probably not super happy right now, but that's okay. Uh, have a great rest of your week. Have a great Thanksgiving and we will see you soon. Thank you.